I want you to follow along with me because we're going to talk about two stories. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at two stories. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 through 34. Um, we're going to look at two stories and um, help us to see the mercy of Jesus. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen for you. It says this, And, G- and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all of the district. Verse 32. Second story. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Now, I love to talk about, especially when we come to these family Sundays, all right? It's fun. We get a little extra squirm in the building. I like it. We also get a chance for, for some of our younger, our, our, our young kids to see what worship's like, and it's a great time. And I love to go and look at the Jesus stories when we, when we are doing these family Sundays. There's a few reasons why. Number one, it's true. Jesus did these things. And a lot of times, we just see them as stories, and we don't understand the relevance to our faith that these stories have. Jesus literally healed these people. It was a sign that he was the Messiah, the one to come. He was the Christ. And he has come doing these healings, and they ha- they're here on purpose. There are three Gospels that are known as the Synoptic Gospels, okay? When we think of Synoptic, most of the time, you probably jump to Synopsis, which is Synopsis is this. It's a little bit of a blurb about something that tells you basically the gist. Like many, I'm not going to ruin, I didn't see this yet, but many of many people went to see Avengers. I tried to go see Avengers. It was sold out, okay? Many people went to see the Avengers, okay? Now, a synopsis of the Avengers would be the basic storyline, and it would be like a couple of lines, and it could have spoilers in it. That is what people think of as synopsis, okay? That is not, when they talk about synoptic gospels, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That doesn't mean that they're a synopsis of Jesus' life and ministry. It means that these three gospels are similar to one another, okay? And that's very important because the, they are similar and they, they have, most of, most of these gospels contain the same stories. And when they have a story that's not included in the other ones, then you go like, oh, he added extra information. It's got to be important. And in this situation, the two stories we're looking at are not in Mark or Luke. Stand alone in Matthew. So they got a little extra like, ooh, okay. So if you're looking for something, that's, that's pretty good. The second, the second aspect to it is this. When you think about these stories, they're not arranged how we, you know how we tell a story? This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and then the end. Okay. Unless you're watching a movie, it's like, it's flashback, and then, the, then you go, this happened, this happened, this happened. Oh, that's why that happened. Okay, that's usually how our story, our narratives go, okay? But their narratives are not set up as like A, B, C, D. Their, their narratives are set up in such a way that it gets the point across. So when you read 
the Gospels, and that's the way that they would write at this time period, the, the things are clustered, the stories are clustered to help you understand the principle that the Gospel writer is trying to get across. And so these stories occur on purpose together. It's not like this happened and this happened. They're put together by the author to help us understand some spiritual realities. It's also right in a situation where there's some impossible things that are, being, are happening. Some people who have been unclean for years because of a blood issue has just happened with a lady with a blood issue, and she couldn't be involved in, in community worship. And so she has been healed, and so Jesus makes the unclean clean. He does the impossible. And I just want you to get this. And I, I, just, I just want you to see this. Sin separates us from God. That's the point of all these things. The blindness, they're not blind because of their sin, but their blindness represents uncleanliness and sin and not being able to see who God is. They were literally blind, but there's, there's two things going on here. Their physical ailment points to their spiritual ailments as well. Does that make sense? And you know this to be true because obviously, as many of you know, I've been battling sickness for the last several months. I want you to get something. Sickness is physical. Duh. <laughs> okay, like, wow, I had to go to church to figure that out. Okay, duh. I go, you know, my throat hurts. Yeah, it's physical. But there's also a spiritual element to it. It does something to you. When you're ill and your psyche and your constitution and your, all those things that, that are involved with that, Jesus is using something. When you, when you are ailing physically, you think about a lot of things you wouldn't otherwise. And you think about a lot of things that, you would, never, that would never just jump into your mind. And so the Lord is using something here in the Gospels. He's using these physical ailments to talk about spiritual things. And so what we have in this particular situation are these two blind guys. And let's not underestimate how difficult it would be to be blind. I mean, I can't even imagine. But they, this is like pre-seeing eye dog. This is before all the great technology we have to help blind people. This would be a, unless your family had means, you're destitute at this point. And to be blind was a it is a, a bad state of affairs. And so that's what we pick up in this first story. There's these two blind men. And as Jesus passed on from there, these two blind men followed him crying aloud. They probably heard the commotion. They probably, somebody probably said, Jesus is coming. And they said, all right, let's follow the crowd. And however they had to do that, whether there was canes involved or people were dragging them, they were following and they were crying out loud to Jesus. And they said, interesting, have mercy on us. Son of David. Note this. Okay, when you're reading the scriptures, and there are stories that are not, the stories are told really succinctly, okay? But you got some words included. You need to be mindful of those words when you're looking at them. There are some people that never stop talking. You know that, right? You've been around the person I have, I have people in my family that I love dearly, but if you ask them a short question, they're going to give you a really long answer. If you ask them about a movie, they're going to tell you the opening credits, okay? Like, 
this was directed by so and so, and it was been produced in 1914, and this was also the 1972. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just wanted to know if you enjoyed it. Like, you know, I'm trying to make small talk, and this has become big talk. That's a lot of things happening. But that person who's real quiet, when they say something, you don't treat them like the person that all the time. Okay? What do you do when that person talks? You're like, well, listen to you. Because you don't usually say things. Now, there's a, there's a, these words are succinct here in this. It's two stories told in just a handful of verses. And every part of this is important. And note this. He says, they say, have mercy on us, son of David. The call is not necessarily to heal, although that's implied. The call is for mercy. To have pity. To look on my situation, have pity on me, and don't give me what I deserve. Mercy, implied in the mercy, is that it's undeserved. What is a good thing that would come, or a, the lack of punishment to come, would be a, a, a gracious gift. It would be something that you don't deserve. And so he didn't come, and I want you to get this, okay? You're not owed healing. You're not owed salvation. You're not owed anything good from God. You actually, because of your sin and my sin, are owed penalty and judgment and wrath. That's what, you, that's what we all deserve. And if, when we forget that, we make something that's not Christianity. We make something else. Because these guys approach for mercy. Now, we don't know why they're blind. We don't, know, we don't know any of that situation. We don't know if they had anything to do with it or not. We don't. Just That's what we have. But they ask for mercy. So we don't know. We can't tell if it's self, brought on by self or what. But we, in God and his providence, they have been blind. And it is their mercy. It is God's mercy that they are asking for. It comes, anything good we have is from a merciful God. And not only that, it says this, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, that's a big one. Son of David was a messianic title, which is saying he is the one who has been in the line of David that's come to fulfill and to be the king who would reign forever on David's throne, the one who's going to redeem Israel, the one who is going to be the God who is going to make a way for sins to be paid for. This is what it means that they're saying son of David. They have messianic overtones. They, they understand. They're calling out to Jesus as if he is the Messiah, the one that was appointed to come. Now, if you look in Isaiah chapter 35, there is um, some very interesting things that it says about this a prophecy of the, son of the son of David coming. And here's what it says. The messianic age would be understood by this as a time when the eyes of the blind, this is Isaiah 35, 5, and 6, the eyes of the blind would be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame would leap like a deer, and the mute tongue would shout for joy. So when they say, have mercy on us, he's like, listen, you're the Messiah, the one that God promised, the one we don't deserve, but the one who is coming to redeem us from all of our sin and to redeem us from this life that's been so messed up and our, and our captors. This Messiah, we, we have mercy on me, and that mercy entails that when he comes, that blind people are going to see. Deaf people are going to hear. 
And lame people are going to jump. It's good news. So son of David and all of who you are, make that happen. Let your mercy be shown in who you are. That's a pretty big statement. So just in one sentence, okay, when these guys talk in this short little thing, it's important. And so then it says this, when he entered the house, because look, there's not an answer immediately. Jesus, if you want to just, listen, if Jesus does everything you think he's going to do in your life, and he behaves exactly like you would behave, and he does exactly what you think is expected, you are not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. You're worshiping the Jesus of your imagination. Because Jesus in the Bible never does things the way we think we should do them. You would think he had this big declaration, Oh, son of David, have mercy on us. And then our idea would be like, Oh, of course, I'm benevolent Jesus. Be healed. Does he do that? You're welcome for the accent. Verse 28, when he entered the house, the blind came to him. <laughs> so he doesn't even, he's like, we don't know how close he is to the house, but I could just be, so have mercy on us, son of David. He's just like, this keeps trucking. Okay. And then he's in the house. And then it says this, the blind man came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they're probably like, Yeah. We called you the son of David, and we, we, when we said have mercy on us, we know what that means. We would be acquainted with the scripture, and we know when the son of David, the Messiah, shows up that all these, these ailments, they can go out the window because of God's mercy to us in the Messiah. But Jesus asked them the point-blank question, do you believe that I am able to do this? There's a question. Now, if we talk about what we talked about last week, and if you weren't here, that's cool. I'm going to give you a little Reader's Digest. In Luke chapter 24, after Jesus' resurrection, he's on the road to Emmaus with some guys. You remember this whole story? And they can't see him because God blinded their eyes, okay? And Jesus rolls up on these guys, and he walks with them, and he says, what's been going on? And they tell him about all the stuff that's happened in Jerusalem. And then, they, then he, what does he start doing? He starts unpacking for them who he is throughout the entire Bible, and they say, man, our hearts are burning within us. And then, boom, after he's explained it, after their hearts have been on fire with the truth, then he reveals himself and shows who he is, and then they understand and recognize. What you have here is they were blind on the road to Emmaus, and then they were made to see. How do they pass from blindness to sight? Well, we see here in both situations there is an explanation you have to understand who Jesus is before there is the realization. There's an explanation, and then there is the realization. And so here's the thing. Um, there's so many, and this is one thing that we, that we don't, um, we live in, cultural Christianity is a decisionistic culture. You know what I mean by that? You've probably been a part of that. It's like, Boy, we had, was Easter Sunday, and we had 40 decisions. People trusted Jesus. It scares me about that. I want people to trust. I hope you know this about me. I want every person in the world to trust Jesus because Jesus just tr- changed me, and, I, and I've trusted him, and it's, it's just a whole big deal, okay? It's my whole life. is That's what my life's about. And I want people to know Jesus, but I, I get this. If you have no knowledge of what the Scripture says about Jesus, how can you trust him? 
And oftentimes, it does not happen in this, and, and, we, and we live in a culture, even especially in this area, where our salvation experience has to be, it's basically down to like, I had a feeling, and it was real intense, and then I believed that I needed to do something with that feeling, and so then I had this feeling of peace after that. That is called, you could have a bad burrito and feel that, because I felt this bubbling, then I felt a relief. That's stupidity, okay? It's, it's, it's sheer stupidity. And it's not biblical. Because if you look at the scriptures, knowledge is hand in hand with an emotional reaction, which goes hand in hand with actual sight, which goes hand in hand with a renewed life, being born again. And so Jesus asked the question, do you believe? If Jesus operated like the church world does now, all it would have taken is have mercy on a son of David. Saved, you're good. But that is not how Jesus operates. He wants to make sure that they understand. Do you believe this to be true? Do you believe this to be true? Do you believe I'm able to do this? And, and being able to do this, there's a lot. That's a pregnant question, okay? And by that, he means do you, okay, who, who can open the eyes of the blind? Only the Messiah. So by saying, can I do this, you're saying who I am. Do you, get, do you get what's happening here? And then he says this. They said to him, yes, Lord. So Jesus has taken the time to confirm that they understand before he works the miracle that shows who he is. You get that? There's an understanding that must be present. And so they move on, and it says, they say yes. And then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done for you. Now, let's not, faith needs to be present. So when it says according to his faith, faith needs to be present. For God works in our lives through faith, by grace, through faith, okay? That is truth. But if you think here, that the amount of faith is the issue, okay? We know faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Faith must be present. Also, we know something about the scriptures. Faith is a gift from God. Note that, okay? Second thing we need to see here is that really the faith is not, it's not about how much faith the person has. It's who the faith is in. It's who the faith is in. It's always who the faith is in. Because you can have a lot of faith in bad people and get really disappointed, right? Like you can have faith that the guy playing three-card Monty down at the NFL draft trying to get people's money in downtown is going to well, He would never cheat. He's running a reputable game. There's three cards. How could he cheat us? I get, you could be sincerely wrong but have sincere faith in that person. How many people have, have, you, have you ever been let down by somebody before? When does it hurt the most when you get let down? Is it by the person you don't trust? No, it's the person that you do trust. When they let you down, that it hurts you so much. And so it's not necessarily about how, the amount of faith that you have, because you can have a lot of faith in a bad person, and it work out pretty bad. But it's the who the faith is in. And so the faith here is obviously in the Messiah, Jesus, and they see it clearly. And this, there was... Ob- I don't want to, and I, go back on the, the, the previous comment I made, I don't want you to, th- to think that emotion is not involved in God. 
saving us and changing us, okay? Because the disciples on the road to Emmaus, their hearts burned within them. And these guys, I mean, the, all their hope is in Jesus. They've come. They, they can't see. Their world is messed up, and they show up, and they roll in. And so they believe in, okay, there's emotion, but they have understanding, too, that must be present. Those things go hand in hand with salvation. And so what happened? He touches their eyes, and he says, according to their faith, let it be done for them. It's not about, it's not about the amount of faith necessarily, but it's the person of the faith who is the Messiah. Verse 30, and their eyes were opened. We don't know if this was for the first time or they, were, they had sight and it comes back. But could you imagine nothing, darkness, and all of a sudden light? Like it just shows in. I was in a cave. Uh, I know that sounds weird. Uh, I, like, <laughs> I was in a cave. Um, I, I do this thing when I go places. I, try to, I, I like to go into caves. Not, not like caves that are just like uh, random caves. I like to go in like state parks that have caves. And uh, I've been in those before. And one of my favorite things that they do in a cave is when they turn off all the lights. And it's that pitch black, you know, that super dark where you can't, like, you can't see this in front of you. It's awesome. I love that, okay? I know that sounded weird and creepy when I said, I like to go into caves, but that's, I do, okay? <laughs> and... And, and you, when they turn on that light again, you know, no matter how long it's been dark, it's so arresting how much light comes in. And so these guys were blind, and he says, according to your faith in me, the Messiah, let it be done for you. And bam, the darkness fills with light. And then Jesus sternly warned them, which is, again, not, if you're writing the Bible, this is not what you would say, but this is Jesus. It says, see that no one knows about this. And all of this has to do with his time not yet coming and, and, and messianic expectations. But look in verse 31. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all the district. And I want to get you to understand this. As we've been talking and we've been, and hopefully, you know, many of you have been coming in and, and you've been, we've been teaching scripture and you've been learning about it. I want you to get, there are signs of the new birth. We can't, we don't do this. We don't give you a plaque when you say you want to follow Jesus or when you're baptized or a certificate. But one thing we do and we try to do a lot is to show you signs of the new birth so that you can make your calling and election sure. And one of the signs of the new birth is a, at least a want to tell people about Jesus and what he has done in your life. I'm not saying you may be good at it. I'm not saying you're going to be like the fireball street corner preacher. But if he's done something, you tell somebody in some way. And you might not be good at it yet. It, you really might not be. But that is, that is part of it. And he opens the mouth. Which brings us to the next story, which is in verse 32. And they were going away. Behold, there was a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. So the other guys, they were following him, but this guy's brought to him and he's demon possessed. And because of that, he's mute. Now, remember, let's go back to Isaiah 35. When the Messiah shows up, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will jump, and the mute will speak. And so part of this is Jesus opening mouths too. He doesn't just open eyes and hearts. He opens mouths. 
And we see this in verse 33. And when the demon had been cast out, which is just, again, like it's, that's a huge thing. In other demon possession uh, stories in the scriptures, there's like convulsing and screaming, and we don't know what happened. It's just like he's, he's gone, okay? Like demon's like, Jesus is like, nope, and then he's gone. And the, man, the mute man spoke, and the crowd marveled, saying, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. What is this? This is crazy. It's the Messiah here. And so Jesus opens this man's mute mouth to speak. And that is a major part of what it means to know the Messiah. You were not set free from sin to be mute. You have a story. You have a testimony. You have a, you've been deputized to speak of Jesus and the way he's changed you. And, and again, we make this harder than it actually has to be. Because if you can just talk about the way he's changed you, it means something. It, it means a whole lot. He opens the, the, the mouth that is mute and tongue-tied. And here's the thing. There are many people who talk a lot and have little to say, right? Have you ever watched the news? And after they give you the actual news, the headlines, then it becomes like everybody screaming at each other, the talking heads, like, Aah! Also, um, because I've got the chance over, you know, the recoup time of my surgery and stuff, I've watched a lot of daytime television. Pray for me, okay? Because you become angry about things, that you didn't even know you want, you should be angry about. And most of mine has gone reverted to sports, okay? Because I've given up on politics because Jesus is king. So, um, so, but now I'm like coming, I'm like, can you believe that they, can you believe that the Warriors dropped game five to the, you know, the Clippers? And, my, and like, everybody's like, who cares? I was like, I'm angry about it. I heard them yell about this thing the whole day. So what you have on sports talk radio is the people that talk, have a little bit to talk about, but they talk a lot. Right? I'm telling you I watch that, so, okay, not throwing stones. It's just, it is just, a, just an observation. But it seems the most thoughtful people say the least. Twitter, political things. It seems like the people who are just air, windbags talk all the time. And the thoughtful people talk very little, right? But here's the good news. When you have come to understand who Christ is, and then you have experienced this new birth, which is akin to having your eyes opened to truth and your ears open to truth, and now you can move and obey God as not that you'll be perfect, but now you have the ability to obey him as you ought because you now have these, this new life in the spirit. Now you actually have words to say. You have something to say. But before that, you maybe could tell people stories about Jesus. You might could tell them about who he was and what he did. But now having a new birth, which comes through knowledge and God's work in your life, this new birth, you actually have something to say. You go from being a religious windbag 
<laughs> to being a person who has actually something of value to say. Have you ever th- considered that that is why it's happening here? That this man who was now mute, now he can speak on purpose because he has something of value to say. If you are in Jesus, you have something of value. I just crushed a communion cup like nobody's business. If you, <laughs> That's going to be hard to transition back to that. <laughs> Mouch smash. I got to go see Avengers, apparently. Wow, I really did a good job on that. You're welcome. When you go from not having anything to say to having something, it's like, you get this, right? You have precious words of gospel good news in you. Like, at work. And it might, your work might be not good. But you got good words. Kids at school, you got like, you got good gospel words if you're in him. At your house, family life, what used to be just windbags talk, you you actually, you have been, your mouth open for a reason to declare the goodness of the Messiah. That's good, good news. Now your speech is filled, not always, okay? But you now have the, you have the propensity for your speech to be filled of compassion and goodness and mercy and grace and Jesus. And he opens eyes and he opens mouths. And this is a part of the new birth. It is good news. Now I want you to notice this, okay? We have belief, and in verse 34 we have unbelief. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. The Pharisees cannot recognize the Messiah in front of them. They think that Jesus is doing the work of Satan. And you know why? Because he he did not operate like they thought he should. They could not see because they had already made up their mind in unbelief. And I want to I just want to just have a brief conversation with some in here today and I don't know who you are but if you've been coming for a while and you've been in unbelief why would you live in unbelief any longer Why And if there are legitimate objections why don't you why don't you bring those to the forefront Do you know light's not afraid of darkness one bit It always casts it out And why wouldn't you deal with this savior why wouldn't you see that salvation is, is offered as a free gift in Christ? Why would you any longer try to dominate and live your own life as king when you know it is not working out? And that Jesus is king and it's become, it's, it's a testimony of the spirit in you now that you're seeing now that Jesus is king. Why will you not trust Christ? And if that's you, here's, here's the next step. We're not going to do a big altar call or anything, but it's, it's just simply this. If you're interested in that and want to know more, come and talk to me or Tom. We'd love to talk to you about that. And the next step is baptism, which shows, it's an outward action that shows the inner reality that you have now died and you are raised in Christ through belief in what his finished work is. And we need to have that conversation. Why any longer? And why would we walk in unbelief when Jesus is so unbelievably good. He is so unbelievably good. He meets us in our unbelief. 
He provides the mercy and the grace that we could not afford. He paid the penalty. He picked up the tab for sin. And not only that, he welcomes us home like a good father, like the prodigal, the prodigal's dad. He welcomes us home. And there's free grace and forgiveness. Why, why, why don't we walk in belief? And it'd be my prayer. And here's what I'd like us to do as we kind of wrap up. In a minute, we're going to pray. In the seat backs in front of you are some um, uh, passport cards, little yellow cards. And hopefully there's a pen that works. I can't guarantee that. But we do our best to keep the pens working, okay? Um, and if you have a prayer need, if you want to talk about baptism, salvation, or something going on, I'm going to give you a few minutes as we kind of respond for you to do that. And then we're going to pass the offering plates around at the end of the service, and you slip it in there. If you really have a prayer need, I want you to get this really clear. Jesus cares. He is merciful. These stories, he cares about these folks. And I want to impress upon this, too, as we've just kind of talked about what we're doing at church. We need to pray for one another, and one of the ways we, we want— let the leadership know so we can pray for you. If you got a, if you got something going on, there's a place to put a prayer need on there. And we don't know if you don't tell us. And one of the great ways to connect with us is through those cards. So I'll give you a minute. And if you want to fill those out, we're going to take a few minutes and just we're going to bow our heads. We're going to spend some time in prayer. I'll close this in prayer. We'll pass out the offering. But that's the way we can, we can respond today. Because Jesus is good. He's merciful. So let's do it. Take a few minutes. We're going to just bow silently. If you want to fill out one of those cards, you have a prayer need, or you want to connect with somebody, fill out one of those. Just in a minute, after we've sat here in prayer, um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll uh, pass around the offering plate. God, we just acknowledge how good you are to us, and we're thankful for your mercy. We're thankful that any good thing that we have is from you. I pray for the, the, young, the, the man or woman in this room or the young, young man or woman in this room who is uh, struggling with unbelief. God, we pray that today you would uh, overcome their unbelief with your light. And we pray that many would trust Christ. And we also pray, God, that for each believer in here, that we should realize that we now have these wonderful words of testimony unleashed in us if we have passed from death to life. And uh, we pray that we would walk in that. We also just want to marvel at your mercy, that we don't deserve anything that we have, but you lavish goodness on us. And that's not just mercy, that's grace. And so we're just very thankful. Um, we're thankful that you've met with us in the service, even though it's been, been a little different. 
but we're just thankful for you and, and the light that you're shining. Lord, we want to walk in truth and lead others to truth. Help us to do that. Jesus, you are the greatest, highest. You are worthy. And uh, we close our time together with that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you would, let's stand. And we'll be dismissed with these words about the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind would be opened. The ears of the deaf would be unstopped. The lame would leap like a deer. And the mute, their tongue will shout for joy. He has come and he's coming again. Walk in the grace of the Messiah. You are dismissed. God bless you.